What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 149. Today, we are going to be looking at a case that we both find incredibly interesting. We've wanted to talk about it on here for a while. And I did cover this on my YouTube channel years ago, but so much has happened and kind of surfaced yes. since then. Lots of just new developments, new evidence that has surfaced over these past couple of years. Yeah. There was an oxygen special with Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. Yep. Uh, if you know who those guys are, the murder squad. Um, yes. They're really cool guys. And they did uh, basically another investigation of this case and they came up with some pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be diving into that today. I'm, I'm actually... As tragic as this case is, it's also extremely intriguing because it it comes down to whether or not Rebecca Zahao was murdered or was she did she commit suicide? It's one of those cases, and those mm-hmm. are always just so tricky, so hard to just wrap your head around. And this one yeah. just has so many bizarre factors to it. It really does. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. We're going to be diving deep into that. But before we get into you know some of our stories we've got at the beginning we've got a very big announcement to make yes we do so this has been in the works for a really long time and we're so excited to tell you guys about this today this has been kind of a dream you know watching this play out for the last couple of years it really has been it's been Mm -hmm. a long time coming i would say oh yeah definitely (laughs) we started talking about this probably around the time we started the podcast so about 150 episodes ago um and we're very excited to have Right here in our hands, one of our CBD products. We are launching a CBD line, a wellness company. Our brand is called Higher Love Wellness. And man, are we excited for you guys to try out this stuff. We are extremely proud of these products. We have worked very hard on them into, you know, the branding, the formula, the flavors, um, we have learned so much about CBD since we've gotten into this process. And yeah. I mean, we've talked about CBD on the show over the years so many times, and it's something we really believe in. I mean, we, we talk about cannabis, we talk about this magical plant and all of its medicinal properties. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's one of those things that we're truly passionate about. As if you're a longtime mile higher listener, you just, you know, you're not surprised by this news probably at no. all because, <laughs> you know, we've been promoting CBD for a long time, but you know, we we always were like, oh man, it would be so cool if we could, you know, put our heads together and come up with our own, you know, original yeah. line of CBD products made in Colorado that we, you know, can really work on each product and make sure that it's to the quality that we want that we would recommend for our followers and, and for us, like, yeah, and for us, we're huge CBD users. Yeah, I mean, we've we've used a lot of different brands of CBD out there over the we years, have. and oftentimes we've just found that like the quality of of the CBD mm-hmm. just isn't that great, or the quality of the product isn't that great. We basically went out searching for for the right partner, and we found literally the perfect partner who you know has. We, obviously, we don't have a farm where we grow hemp <laughs> yet, at least. I'm a farmer now. Actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hemp farmer. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> But we found a great partner to work with on this that truly is in it for the right reasons and knows about, you know, what an incredible medicine it truly is for so many people. And he takes it really seriously. And this is good stuff. I can confidently say this. Obviously, it's our brand. So like we're going to say it's awesome. (laughs) But truly, this is an incredible CBD product. And obviously, I'm a huge CBD user. I use it every day, you know, topicals. I do um, edibles. I 
take gummies, tinctures. Yes. And we are going to have all of those things. We'll tell you about it in a second here, but yeah, I mean, CBD has been such a huge part of my wellness routine. I have fibromyalgia. I have reactivated EBV. So I have a lot of chronic pain and CBD has been so good for that. Yes. And this is such good CBD. Some CBD has this really strong, like waxy taste or it the bitter. flavor is yeah, bitter or it lingers in your mouth. It just tastes gross. Our CBD tastes so good. I have the pineapple one right here. Pineapple Express. Yep. This which is my is, favorite. Which we flavored our products with terpenes, which is a totally mm-hmm. natural uh, way to flavor cannabis products. And so you just get this delicious natural pineapple flavor mm-hmm. in our tinctures. And then our gummies are, are different flavors of fruits, uh, grape, watermelon, and blue raspberry. Mm-hmm. And we're just super, super excited about the products. I mean, we've been using them for a while now. It's just it's amazing stuff. And we're really excited for you guys to try it, try it out for sure. So like I said, this is made in Colorado. Yes. We are, you know, involved in the entire process. It's basically farm to table CBD. Also, our products are non-GMO, gluten-free, they're vegan and they're cruelty-free. And we're really proud of that. And best of all, all of our products are going to be THC free. Mm-hmm. So there's no psychoactive element to these. You're not going to get high from any of our products. They're legal in all 50 states of the United States. Right now, we're not able to sell these products overseas, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. There's just too many restrictions, too many liabilities. And I mean, in every different country has a different stance on CBD right now. So we're not going to be selling internationally. So sorry, peeps in other countries. But <laughs> for right now, this will only be available online here in the United States only. But hopefully that'll change in the future. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is I mean, this is definitely some of the best stuff that we've ever tried out there. We're super just proud of it. And we really hope that you guys are going to like it. In addition to tinctures, topicals and edibles, Mm -hmm. we're also bringing CBD wax to the market, which is something we uh, is really not very popular out there right now. So this is not going to get you high, but it's going to give you all of those medicinal benefits Mm -hmm. that CBD has to offer. But you can basically dab it or you can you know use it like uh any other type of cannabis concentrate which is really cool i will also have uh vape cartridges as well for cbd for those that like to vape cbd along with vape pens and terp pens for the wax yep yep so really really cool stuff um yeah and this is just the start we have so many ideas for other cbd products we want to do in the future but yeah right now we're launching with two tinctures a salve gummies wax a tart pen and the vape pen yep the cartridges yep so and the cartridges and we'll obviously you know depending on how everything goes we will be expanding our line hopefully and moving into all these other products pet products all that good stuff so yep very exciting lots to look forward to yep so you want to tell them when it's going to be available oh yes of course (laughs) higher love had to launch on valentine's day because this has been our project together this has been a dream for us really long time i know valentine's day is kind of cheesy but it's still fun (laughs) it fits (laughs) with our whole whole logo and everything i think so so we are launching on february 14th it's going to be available in limited quantities we do have we're starting small with this we're not um we're really sharing this with our podcast viewers for right now and so you guys are getting the exclusive this, yeah. here. <laughs> this <laughs> the is the first exclusive. look at the the first batch. Yeah, because I mean, we are really doing this in small batches. Like yeah. we are not like mass producing this stuff. This is small batches, high quality from a little hemp farm here in Colorado mm-hmm. where it's grown and extracted. 
everything is made here, which I'm super proud of. And yep, me too. can't wait again, can't wait for you guys to try it. So again, all that's going to be available on Valentine's day at higherlovewellness.com. And when you're hearing this, it's going to be before that time. So if you wouldn't mind heading over to Instagram and following us at higher love wellness co that's our handle. Uh, we're also going to be on Facebook and then on Twitter, we are at higher love CBD. Yes. And you can also head to our website. If it's before launch date, there's a place to put your email in so that you are notified when we do launch. Absolutely. Higher love wellness, baby. This is so fucking exciting. I know it's just <laughs> wild to see this all come together because we've all been working on this and wanting to tell everyone about it for a really long time. So to have this in our hands right now, like I can't tell you how exciting it is. And, and once you guys get it in your hands and see the packaging, guys, the packaging is so it's we so spent a lot of time on this. We oh did. My God, and it's so good. Yes. Shout out to our friend Sydney from the Sesh. Yes. If you watch the Sesh, you know her. She has been working tirelessly on yeah. the design, on the printing, packaging, all that. We've did everything. Like yeah. we did everything in house. So this, this is was completely owned by us. Like there's not like some yep. investors out there. Like this right. is Kendall and I's baby. Like we're, we're <laughs> totally invested in this. So you're, you were yeah. pregnant. You're expecting. <laughs> you should have, can we put that in the title? Well, it took longer than nine months, honestly. Let's put it in the so. title. Kendall's expecting. <laughs> <laughs> That'll bring people in. There we go. But so we'd yeah. love if you su- you would support us, even if you're not a CBD user, if you give us a follow at higher level on yeah. the scale, that'd be awesome. And spread the word. That would mm-hmm. be amazing yes very excited to see what you guys think of it and yeah we'll probably uh you know be talking about it more and more here as uh we launch and everything starts rolling out and seeing what you guys think so but anyways (laughs) let's go ahead and move on to some of the stories that we've got this week so one of the things that so many of you out there were sending us is that I feel like we see this like multiple times every year (laughs) this Russian mystery that which we've covered here on the show Dial of Pass. Yeah. Uh, that it's a crazy story. If you haven't heard it, we do have a whole episode on it. But there's been news that this mystery of what happened on Dial of Pass to the nine hikers that mysteriously died in the in the middle of the night. There's something happened, uh, we believe has been solved, uh, according to you know, researchers and people who have been working to try to solve this mystery after all of these years. Because this happened back in nineteen fifty nine. And it's basically been an unexplained mystery all these years. And just earlier this year, the Russian government came out and said it was solved. Wasn't that this year? Mm-hmm. It's all blurring. I don't know. I th- Yeah, I think it was this year. I think it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they well, said it no, was solved. Well, no, it was solved. in 2020. Okay, so <laughs> la- yeah. Last year. Last year. In the last yeah. year is what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But essentially, if you don't know this, this story, these hikers mysteriously mm-hmm. disappeared and then their bodies were found later on and their bodies were found in absolutely bizarre conditions, super bizarre conditions, scattered all over the place, missing, missing tongues, body parts, eyes gouged out. Mm-hmm. Their tent was found and their tent had been like cut from the inside out. Mm-hmm. There's just all these missing very, their clothes. Yeah. Just, One of them had climbed a tree. Clearly their hands were like ripped to shreds. Mm-hmm all these really bizarre injuries that these bodies sustained. And yeah. there's just been all these theories over the years of like what happened to them yeah. to like, what would kill all of these people and leave their bodies in this state. Mm-hmm. And so there's been all types of theories from UFOs, um, government, Bigfoot, military, projects, what's snow, Bigfoot Yeti. called Yeti. <laughs> Yeti. Snowman. Yeah, no, that's actually a big theory for this case. A lot of people think it could have been a Yeti. Yeah. We, <laughs> Oh, they, oh, yeah. Uh, just another name for the same oh, thing, same essentially. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 
So there's, you know, there's been, and then there's been theories like they died of hypothermia, they've died of, you know, natural causes, things mm-hmm. like that. But there was a new study that was published on January 28th. And basically this new study provided scientific evidence that may suggest that what actually happened to these hikers was a small avalanche mm-hmm. was triggered under very unusual conditions at night. And as all of them were sleeping in this tent, this avalanche just went off all of a sudden, causing them in the middle of the night while they're sleeping, causing them to, you know, that's going to hit the tent. It's going to wake them up. They're going to try to flee while they're being completely crushed by snow. So they say they have scientific evidence for this, which is seems to be better than what the government put out because they just basically ruled it hypothermia and ignored all other possible evidence. Right. But the avalanche seems, I guess, a little more likely, but there was no evidence of no. an avalanche at all. No, there wasn't. But basically, they were able to... Th- so what they're saying is this avalanche was a slab avalanche, which is a very kind of bizarre type of avalanche that doesn't occur very often. But that night, there may have been the exact conditions that would allow for this type of avalanche to occur. The best way to describe a slab avalanche and kind of how this would have gone down. So if you have a tent that is just, it's on flat ground, and then maybe they were camping against a slab of snow you know in order to protect yourself from the elements okay what may have happened in the middle of the night is the layer of the snow slid over the top of them like something underneath may have caused it to then send this top layer of snow yeah the best way i can explain is kind of like how an earthquake would work like when you have your tectonic plates and Mm -hmm. stuff something would have caused it to shift so that this giant slab of snow would have all of a sudden just something triggered it to basically disband and cover up the entire tent. And at that point they tried to escape it. Okay. So in order to test out this theory, engineers actually used animation codes that Disney actually used when they made their movie frozen. (laughs) What? Yeah. In order to test this and create a simulation for this to happen. And in their study, the researchers learned that the angle of the slope near the hiker's campsite was actually steeper than previous reports indicated. The slope angle measured 28 degrees compared with the area's average slope angle of 23 degrees. And while 30 degrees is considered the standard slope angle at which a slab avalanche can occur, this can be, you know, it's just kind of a rough guess. I mean, it could be slightly less than that, and there's still a possibility for a slab avalanche to go off at 28 degrees. But... According to the simulation, it would have caused snow to completely crush and flatten the tent, which would have forced the the hikers to basically cut themselves out of it from the inside in order to get out of all the snow that was coming down on top of them and attempt to run away from where the slap avalanche was occurring. And then I guess they had all these crazy injuries as a result of just trying to get out of the way of the avalanche. Like... Oh, like maybe they climb the trees to escape the snow. Okay. You know, that's like, that makes a lot more sense than what the government put forward, the Russian government. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. it, that actually makes sense for them to have cut out to right. be climbing. Yeah. Some right. of those injuries would actually make sense. But the, and then the rest of them, the more bizarre ones could probably be explained by animals then. You exactly. Know? Just kind of a combination of all of the elements interesting i've never heard of a slab avalanche but that makes me think of the avalanche theory a little differently 
But still, wouldn't there have been more evidence of that? Like how we really wouldn't have seen anything. It's taken this long to come to this conclusion. Well, I mean, you're talking about a mountainous region that they were climbing and obviously there's a ton of snow up there. So it, you know, with a, a normal avalanche, you're probably going to get way more. Just the sheer amount of snow is going to be a lot okay. larger than because the way that or so if like you look piling. right, if you look at a normal avalanche, you've got snow like mm. snowballing on the way down. It's it's gathering more and more snow as and building goes. momentum as it goes down. Uh, so it's going to wipe out trees. But okay. with a slab, you're talking about, you know, just a huge piece of snow, essentially a slab of it. Yeah sliding off the top of the snow underneath and then flattening on top of it almost like if you were to drop a, a book on top of you know yeah. imagine if you had a mm-hmm. i don't know you know you built a or model of this or something like you had a little the way that your car like pushes snow off you know in your windshield if like a piece of that were to just fall yeah like a or off the top roof of your car you know you start right. driving and Kinda all like of a sudden you see it, a chunk of snow that just slides down the front of your windshield and it's still intact. It's like one big piece of snow. A slab. Right. So okay. it could be possible that this slab flattened the tent and then just kind of crumpled. And over time, obviously, and them trying to get out of it, it's not going to look like an avalanche happened. It's just going to look like there's just a bunch. They got a bunch of snow that night. So it's very hard to prove this because there's no way to really know for sure what happened that night right. as far as like, was it a slab avalanche or not? But okay. it's one theory that could absolutely explain most if not everything about this event that that does make the most sense of any theory i've heard except so for the far. russian investigators back in 2019 and 2020 concluded that it was most likely due to a slab avalanche this isn't the first time a slab avalanche has been talked about well then how come last time or like over the summer they said it was just hypothermia well, that's why they died theoretically, but that it's oh, but they brought forward the avalanche, avalanche as well. Yeah, I don't think these are the first people to do it. So I think it's just another set of people, and the fact that they used Disney, they proved it. They by took Disney's okay. codes and reprogrammed it with their own dimensions of what they believe their avalanche is, and so then once they played it in Disney simulation, the simulation of the codes of the avalanche were like it showed them what happened. Okay, that makes sense now. Because I mean, it, it does make sense that if you were your tent was crushed by snow and according to the pictures that we have of that event the tent does look like it got crushed it does but not completely though that's the thing about it is i feel like the tent would have been flattened and it didn't look completely flattened to the ground so i'm still on the fence with this because i'm like yeah "Yeah, it does do a better job of explaining why they would have all ran out of the tent all of a sudden that night and then Mm -hmm. died in all these random places trying to go get help or Or get away from an area yeah exactly it could explain why they might do that like see where if you had snow on top of you you wouldn't even be able to look at or know where the entrance to your tent was you would just randomly start cutting but why did they all run different ways like why didn't they all go together probably because it was like the middle of the night and there's like half asleep and freaking out like what's going on is it it a snowstorm is it an avalanche what's going on i'm fleeing like i'm trying i can't see everybody just took off yeah i'm sure they were just like literally panicking so they were like, guys, gather together. Let's form a plan. Like sheer panic, I'm sure, set in. Well, I never understood this theory, you know, exactly what a slab avalanche was. But now that I you put it that way, that does make a lot of sense. It it does. But at the same time, there is still some oddities that aren't that can't be explained by an avalanche, such as a, a strange unidentified cloth 
was found near the bodies. And according to those that know about this type of cloth, it was worn by soldiers in the Red Army. Uh, there's there's elements that okay. suggest that some type of military presence was there that night as well. Oh, that's there's they recovered ski poles that looked as if but were knife one of the boys in the military. Am I sorry? Am I wrong on that? I thought one of the boys were, in, were like past military members. No, could be. I think you're thinking Yuba County. Oh, am I? Yeah, yeah, I think you're thinking the American oh, Diet Love. Well, here we go. These guys are like, they're all students. college kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, right. yep, this is yep, a group yep. of researchers. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they're researchers. But that right, one's right. interesting too, Yuba County. Yeah, but crazy. So yeah, I don't. I don't know what to fully make of this. I don't think this fully solves this at all. I think this is still going to just be unexplained because it's one of those events that, like, unless you were there, yeah. there's no way to possibly know exactly what happened. I think it's a very plausible it? theory. I think. Yeah. If anything, if there's a natural explanation for this, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, it really does. And it does appear like they probably died of hypothermia, most of them at least. But still, I think there's some things that are, I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. Still think it might be aliens. I mean, Buried you never know. Alien yeah. abduction attempt and it just went <laughs> very wrong. <laughs> highly, highly doubt it. Who knows? <laughs> but the other story I have is about Elon Musk. Elon, Elon, mm. Elon. Mm-hmm. 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 Elon now. I used to be like an Elon simp. I know we now all I'm like were. Over it. It's kind of cringe. Well, I think a lot of people were when he first like came on the scene because mm-hmm. he was like very interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I'm like kind of torn on him still. Yeah, I don't know either. He's tough to get a read on as far as yeah. like what his intentions are. And I mean, he he is very active on social media, so you can take the things you know that he says at face value. I mean, he seems like. He's like one of us. He tries to really yeah. like get on the same level as a, like most people that follow him. The way that he kind of talks to people online, at least he kind of yeah. gives you this feeling of like, I'm one of you guys. I'm one of the people. But you're not. Yet Elon. he's you're the richest the man, richest in, man the in the world. world. But he like kind of fools us in that way because mm-hmm. he he does try to be super relatable and, and chill. Yeah. Like he's just this chill mm-hmm. guy that's just trying to like discover. Yeah, He would even and, go on PewDiePie's channel. Remember that? Oh, uh, yeah, he did. Unless I'm like literally imagining that it would be really embarrassing, but I'm pretty sure I watched that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He hosted his like meme thing that he has. Yeah. Hmm. Oh yeah, he did. did. No, he definitely did. did. You're right. You're right. And he tries to be, you know, he like smokes weed on Joe Rogan. Oh yeah. He tries to be like, yeah, like one of the, one of of the the people. He doesn't want to be considered like one of the elites. But you are bro. (laughs) You are the elite. (laughs) Yes. The the, yeah, he just, if you didn't hear that, he just became the richest man in the world over Jeff Bezos. Which Jeff is stepping down from Amazon. Yes, that is, we don't know much about that. That just broke just now as we're recording this. But. Stepping down as CEO. I don't know what capacity he'll work with Amazon in, but the fact that he's stepping down from CEO is very interesting. I'm very curious about that. And Amazon stock's like going up because he's stepping <laughs> down. Very interesting. We'll see how that plays out. <laughs> but the reason we're talking about Elon is because of his company or his startup rather, Neuralink. So we've talked about Neuralink many times. He's basically trying to create a brain-computer interface, a way for your brain to work with some piece of technology that can then do you know, do all sorts of things. I mean, ultimately, the goal is to help with uh, basically people who are paralyzed and have neurological disorders, Alzheimer's, things like that. So there's a lot of positives that could happen as a result of having this type of brain interface if it's able to fix you know serious diseases and issues like that so there's a lot of promise there Mm -hmm. but he went on this new app called clubhouse which you just 
told yeah. me about the other night. It's cool. It's a really cool app. It's like conference calls, though. Yeah. It's like being on a conference call. I think call they with shut down the invites like the day after we got on it. Yeah, it's private right now. You can't just like join it. You I've have got some invites. Yeah. I heard they're selling for money now. Yeah, they're on I'm eBay right now. On eBay. Oh, can I have one? No, you cool. have to pay me. All right. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I'll send you an invite. <laughs> but it's a cool app. It's kind of like listening to a podcast. It's basically oh. like these clubhouses. They're rooms where there's a topic. Like there's ones for the stock market, for example. That's been really popular on there lately. Um, activism type stuff, uh, social groups. Like there's even like weed groups, you know, and and then there's like a stage and people can be pulled up onto the stage to talk. So there's always someone Mm -hmm. talking. So it's kind of like listening to a live podcast and there's always someone talking in that group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Elon, he got on the app (laughs) and he went on stage virtually and he was asked about, you know, what's the latest developments at Neuralink? One of the statements that he made was this we have a monkey with a wireless implant in their skull with tiny wires who can play video games with his mind you can't see where the implant is and he's a happy monkey we have the nicest monkey facilities in the world because of course people are like you're <laughs> testing on monkeys what the hell man we want them to play mind pong with each other huh. so he's literally got monkeys playing video games with their minds and this Whoa. proving that this technology does work, that what they're working on is having some level of success. And he went on to explain how Neuralink technology is hopefully going to address problems with brain and spinal injuries um, by helping people with these implanted chips. And the other thing that he mentioned, though, was, you know, everybody's, you know, people freak out because they're like, oh, this is going to mean we're going to become cyborgs, right? If we're mm-hmm. implanting chips into our brains. But he made the point that we already are cyborgs because we have a tertiary digital layer tertiary thanks to our phones computers and apps that we use and he said with a direct neural interface we can improve the bandwidth between your cortex and your digital tertiary (laughs) layer by many orders of magnitude he said i'd probably guess at least 1000 or maybe 10,000 or more wow long term he's hoping that this Neuralink technology would allow humans to send concepts to one another using telepathy and exist in a saved state so that after they die, they could be then put into a robot or another human. That's so, ah, it's interesting. And I like the idea of, I like the telepathy thing, but, ah, that's just scary thinking about like if, okay. So if we're keeping people alive and just putting them into robots, we're all Does your be soul like move on or your soul's in the robot? Like what is that? I don't even understand. Well, it depends on your beliefs around, you know, spirituality right. and souls. But m- from that perspective, I think what would happen is you just have copies of humans that are just drones. You know, they have they have some level of consciousness because they're able to uh, an artificial consciousness in a way. It's artificially created. It's programmed is really what it is. It's a programming that's going to be left behind once your soul leaves. Your, your The actual data that is collected through this Neuralink technology is then going to be basically running inside this robot, robotic body Ew. where it's going to be kind of you, but it's also not going to be the real you. That feels like that's going against everything that life is like the point. I just... Uh. I don't like it. I don't like it. I can't imagine a world where 
there's cyborg people walking around. That really freaks me out. I definitely don't like the idea of microchips and stuff in my brain. It's just, what the hell? But what if that is required in order for the human race to even continue? Like, what if right. there's a point, an extinction point no, that we're going to reach see that. without this technology? And I think, you know, he's coming at it at a very, like, you know, trying to pump it up as this, this positive thing. It's going to help people with serious injuries. And I mean, I, I hope yeah, for the people cool. with serious injuries and who are paralyzed mm-hmm. in wheelchairs that this technology will give them a second yeah. chance of having a completely normal life again. Like that mm-hmm. would be absolutely incredible. I mean, right. that's a big daunting task if you think about it. And then to then say, well, we're going to hopefully one day be able to transfer your consciousness to another yeah, that's body. Like, ah, but I what if, because I mean, I, I think in order for that to happen, we'd have to figure out where, if the soul is a real or B, where does that lie? Is it transferable? I mean, right. if you think, can't even harness that. Well, here's a thought: like, if you believe in reincarnation, you, in a sense, kind of believe in this idea that after you die, your soul then goes and inhabits another body. So what yeah. if? So what if your biological body dies and they're able to they're able to harness your soul or extract it and then put it into even a robotic body? If you could be, you know, a conscious human again, but just in another robotic body, and it's just not a biological body. I just don't like that. Well, like, how do you know extremely advanced civilizations are in robotic bodies? Right. That's, that's what I'm true, saying. Right. And when you do think about the Cartage of scale and all of that, yeah. it, are these things necessary for human advancement? For it us might to be get required to, to even exist on that higher level of civilization. I just don't like it because it goes against my like personal beliefs. That's why, you know, it, it kind of fucks with everything I believe. It does. It, it flips all of your ideals and your religious yeah. views. And it makes spirituality like a manufactured human thing. Kinda, to, but not always. Well, I think I harnessing consciousness and putting it somewhere else is like you're, but not you're kind of acting as like a god in a way. Wouldn't you say that a lot of advanced beings are way more spiritually advanced than us? Advanced beings are more spiritually advanced than us. That are like, like well, I don't know them. Like maybe spiritually, because- maybe they're not. Maybe they're like all atheists and they have no spiritual belief, and they're like, "There's nothing, bitch." So isn't that just <laughs> as bad as the other way? <laughs> I don't know. That makes me think. I don't know. I just, uh, uh, I just hope I don't want to be that. Like, there's so many movies where humanity takes it too far. But with, that's Hollywood. That's all. Yeah. I know. And ideals. That, right. And so, so we're, tr- we're, I'm, but, I'm programmed to be afraid of that because of, I've seen all those things. Sure. And I'm afraid. I don't want like an iRobot situation. You know what I mean? Well, like yeah, that scares Nobody me. wants an iRobot situation, but here's a, so it's a slippery slope. Well, I mean, what if, maybe what if in order, shit, so like, here's an example. So what if in order for the human species to survive, we need to leave this planet we need to go to another planet out there in the in the galaxy in order to colonize and start a new home. But in order to get to that other planet, that's the only planet out there that can support life and mm-hmm. allow us to survive. Okay. We have to go through a wormhole in order to get there. And in order to go the, through the wormhole, we need our bodies are not strong enough to withstand the absolute massive forces that we will encounter through this wormhole our biological bodies would absolutely just be decimated into a million pieces but let's say elon musk Neuralink has the ability to transfer everything about you into an artificial body 
that can withstand the forces of this wormhole. So in order to survive as a human race, as the human, so because what makes us human? Is it our bodies or is it our minds, our souls, our consciousness? What what actually makes us human? Is it the fact that I have hands and I can walk around on two feet or is it the fact that I can talk to you and have this deep discussion with you right now? What is, what is the human aspect of it? Yeah. It's consciousness. So if you can move consciousness from a bio, this is like the flesh vehicle, like Joe Rogan always says, you know, we're piloting this flesh vehicle mm-hmm. around. And what if the flesh vehicle breaks down and we need to remove the, the consciousness inside this flesh vehicle and then transport it to a artificial one that would allow us to survive and allow the human, the well, human cyborg race when to you put it like that. <laughs> yeah. I'd be down. Lots of factors. I think it's That's very an interesting easy. way to put it. And I didn't even think about that. But yeah, maybe we can't do I think certain we're, things. Maybe it would allow us to advance. And we might need it. it the future of this planet yeah. might depend on technology right. and advancement. We can't go we outside. I totally get that. Like, I totally get that. It just goes again. It just makes me feel icky. You know, it makes me feel scared, like anxious. I'm sure some people agree with me. Like Most people's biological bodies make them feel anxious. So what yes. if we take that out of the equation? <laughs> rewire ourselves what if we could like stop anxiety god if i could live my life without being like what if every three seconds that would be nice that would be nice <laughs> yeah seeing i mean seeing might be able what to hack your do, brain yeah hack it fix the issues if you can fix alzheimer's know. and fix yeah paralysis and all these no, other spinal injuries like think of yeah anxiety that'll be t- no problem <laughs> right depression no problem <laughs> don't Done. say that we don't know <laughs> no i'm just saying that theoretically with this yeah, technology maybe. it could advance that point where it, yeah, could, we don't it know. could make us all smarter it could elevate our consciousness to the next level to the next dimension and well, we're when off you put to it like stars. that yeah i think <laughs> i mean i don't know maybe elon is, is he might the, be on to something that's the thing with elon is like i can't tell if he's like the hero or the villain and it's hard like i go back and forth i get like i don't know he's clearly going to have a huge impact on society either way is it going to be for the good or for the bad so people far, have such mixed opinions on him. Well, I think a lot of these powerful, legendary people are both of those things, good yeah, and bad. Like yeah. they bring amazing things, and they're also like, mm-hmm. the, they're human. There's, there's a yeah, yeah. There's going to be yeah. downfalls to them because he isn't a human cyborg yet. He doesn't have this technology even for himself. Yeah, he's a visionary. If anything, he's an innovator and he's a visionary. He's got some knowledge in that head of his. And I mean, that's proven fact. You can look at his whole life and say, absolutely an inventor, Nikola Tesla type of mind. Yeah, he is. And he is trying to advance our technology and take our civilization to the next level. It's just we don't know the full intentions of that. We don't know if that, you know, if he can sustain doing this in in a private sector where he remains fully over control of over this tech technology. Like what happens if he gets to that point where the technology is just like so far advanced that all of a sudden people take him by force and take it over. And that's what scares me the most is what could happen if anybody possesses this level of technology, who's going to come and try to take it and use it for evil. That that's, what's most scary. Yeah. So, God, we just went super deep on that one. Yeah, we did. That was long. And we got a long case. We do. So we got we have a very interesting that. case. So let's go ahead and get into the case of Rebecca Zahau. But before we do, we want to thank our first sponsor for today. Okay, today we are going to be talking about a victim named Rebecca Zahau, who we should kind of go over her background a little bit before we even get into the case. So she was born on March 15th, 1979. 
She lived with her parents for most of her life and her siblings in the township of Falam in the Chin state of Burma, which is now Myanmar. Myanmar. Mm -hmm. Rebecca's family is of Chin ethnicity and she was raised Protestant. Yeah, they were very religious Christians. Like they sang in youth group, like that was a very big part of their life. And they were also considered royalty in their country, which is pretty cool. It was. However, they were forced to flee and lived in Nepal and Germany before moving to the United States as Burmese immigrants in 2001. And Rebecca's parents and other family members settled in St. Joseph, Missouri, actually. And her older sister, Mary, and her teenage sister, Zena, were also in the U.S. And her younger sister, Snowem, actually stayed in Germany. And Rebecca is described by the people that knew her as a very happy and carefree, fun type of person. She was artistic. She loved to paint. She loved to be outside. She was very active, loved to work out. She was just very happy-go-lucky. And she's also gorgeous. She's very, very beautiful. Um, Friends and family said that she was funny, that she was always smiling, had a lot of charisma and charm that left, you know, its mark on people that she met. And when she walked into the room, heads would turn. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to see why. She's absolutely a gorgeous woman. She is. And Rebecca was just so happy to be in the U.S. She was so excited to start a new life. She had just gotten a job as an ophthalmologist. <laughs> I'm going to struggle with that. Basically, she was a technician at an ophthalmologist's office. Ophthalmic. Ophthalmic? Close enough. <laughs> That's going to have to work. And she loved her job. She met a guy named Neil Nalepa in Scottsdale, who was a 36-year-old nursing student. They got married in 2002. We don't know that much about her relationship with him, and it was pretty short-lived because in 2008, while she was still married to Neil, she met a man named Jonah Shacknai, who is the CEO of Medicis Pharmaceutical. Yes, a very, very rich businessman. Mm -hmm. And he came into her office for an eye exam, and they hit it off right away. And they started dating, and she didn't officially divorce Neil until 2011. And I think she was very impressed by Jonah because he is a very wealthy dude. Yeah, I mean, his company he worked for and was basically the leader of was worth billions of dollars, known for its medical innovations and advancements. And in fact, they made a, I I guess it's like a substitute. I don't even know. I can't remember what the name is, but it's basically an alternative to Botox. Yeah, uh, and if you look at either. Jonah, clearly he was <laughs> testing it out on himself <laughs> because he looks like he's got a lot of, he it's like retinol or something like that. Yeah, he, he definitely went a little overboard with Botox. As you can imagine, cosmetic enhancements mm-hmm. uh, can definitely make you very rich in this country and it made Jonah very, very wealthy. Mm-hmm. And obviously he was just completely taken aback by her. I mean, she was extremely stunning. And his attraction for her went well beyond just her looks. They both were very active. They both loved the outdoors and were very committed to living a healthy lifestyle. He was also in awe of what she had gone through, escaping Burma with her family. And he also had a lot of respect for her. And the more he learned about her, the more he loved her. Prior to meeting Rebecca, Jonah had actually been married twice before. And he had three kids. When he divorced his first wife, Kimberly James, They battled over custody of their two kids for three years. And by the time he was with Rebecca, they were teenagers. He had his third child, Maxfield Aaron, who they ended up calling, just nicknaming him Max, with his second wife, Dina Romano. And Max was born on June 7, 2005. Dina had a non-identical twin sister named Nina Romano, who was also close with her and Max. Dina and Nina, the twins. I like it. 
Another interesting thing that I wanted to bring up about Jonah is that he definitely is a bit of a sketchy dude. He had uh, actually some sexual assaults, harassment lawsuits at his company uh, that he owned, Metasys. Mm-hmm. And millions were paid out in this lawsuit. I think it was like 325 women came forward with sexual harassment uh reports at this I company no if it was that many it was it was, was 300 it, three? it was astounding number it was of people. 100 something no it was a few hundred that's i mean this is a big big company so yeah i mean imagine what a douche this guy is if that many people have to come together clearly the culture and environment that's being fostered at this company is mm-hmm. not not a safe place especially for women definitely not so Rebecca, it seems like the more she hung out with Jonah, maybe Jonah had an effect on her. Because in August of 2009, Rebecca was caught shoplifting from a Macy's in Phoenix. She was actually arrested for stealing $1,000 worth of jewelry and pled guilty to this charge. And she ended up quitting her job at the ophthalmologist's office in December 2010. And that same year, Jonah made $6.4 million at Medicis Pharmaceutical. And he became the ninth highest paid CEO in the state of Arizona. So when Jonah and Rebecca got together, obviously his ex-wives were very, you know, apprehensive to this and even didn't like Rebecca because they didn't trust her. Mm -hmm. They just thought that Rebecca was a gold digger. I mean, she just quit her job and now she's, you know, just taking Jonah's money. And his ex-wives didn't like the fact that Rebecca sometimes babysat their kids without Jonah around. I mean, this is a pretty common issue, I think, with, Mm -hmm. you know, this type of situation, co-parenting with exes. But uh, what was also interesting is that Rebecca's family wasn't thrilled about her relationship with Jonah either, as they had very traditional values. Again, they were Protestant, and they just wanted Jonah to commit to her through marriage because they were like, potentially Mm -hmm. Jonah is using Rebecca. I mean, she's this beautiful woman. You know, she's got this story and everything, and maybe... He's just using it for his own gain. Yeah. And they were concerned because he had been divorced before twice. So they thought, you know, they don't want her to end up in a situation where she gets her heart broken and he just kind of like moves on to the next. Right. Good looking woman. I mean, any good parent would would want that. Be concerned. And I think they probably just got sketchy vibes from him. Right. Yeah. I would. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you look into his lawsuits and what's going on at his company. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't hard to find some dirt on Jonah. Mm -hmm. But despite not only Rebecca's parents not approving of this relationship and Jonah's ex-wives, they continued. They just kept going forward. They didn't care. And Rebecca absolutely adored Jonah's son, Max. And Max actually loved her too. Yeah, he really did. And he's such a cutie. Oh yeah. Seems like such a good kid. She was so excited to like have this relationship with him and you know, she didn't have children of her own. So Max meant a lot to her. Yeah, they had a super special bond, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And once she moved in with Jonah, she actually became one of Max's guardians. And Max's mother, Dina, didn't really like this whole co-parenting situation with Rebecca. And they really didn't have a friendly relationship at all. I mean, it seems like everything I've heard from interviews and everything, it just seems like they did not get along at all. Like there is definitely some bad blood there. I just spilled tea all over myself. If you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> I definitely saw it's that. just another day. Yep. I can't go a single day without spilling something. Myself. No, I always it's joke impossible. like I need to get her a bib. Yeah, I, I need a bib. Like when we have bib. a baby, I'm going to get, get matching bibs. You can have oh, a hell yeah. mother 
daughter, daughter bibs. son bib. Mother daughter son bibs. Matching. Yes. She's love bib merch. <laughs> bib merch. You could rep it every day. Would you guys buy bibs? <laughs> I could honestly Would use a bib. Buy bibs. I need one. I'm like, should I change my shirt now? No, you can't even see it. Okay, good. You're good. All You're right. Good. I mean, yeah, no, actually, you can't see it. I just no, you, I actually don't see anything. That's great. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Jonah knew that there was definitely tension between his ex Dina and mm. Rebecca, and Dina really didn't want Rebecca to be around and didn't want, you know, Rebecca to get closer and closer with Max, especially. Mm. And she made this very clear. And I think there's definitely some things that happened and maybe even some, I don't know, incidents that may have occurred, whether it was physical or, uh, you know, just yelling and screaming or something like that. I think it's pretty obviously had some fights uh, at some point during, you know, this whole whole situation. But Dina made it pretty clear that she did not like Rebecca. And there's like some bad blood between them for sure. Yeah, definitely. So fast forwarding a few years here to the year 2011. So in July of 2011, Rebecca and Jonah were staying in his summer home in Coronado, California at the famous Spreckles Mansion. It's a really big house. It's got like multiple houses, guest house, main house, uh, really, really big. All kind of centered around a courtyard. Yes, very much so. And Coronado, California is actually across the San Diego Bay. It's a very wealthy resort city with beautiful historic homes there. And on July 11th, Rebecca was at the house with Jonah and Max, who had just turned six the month before, along with her sister, who's 13 years old, Zena, who was there from out of town uh, from Missouri. Jonah had actually left that morning to go to the gym in order to work out, leaving Rebecca with Max, which was no big deal. I mean, she watched Max all the time. So this was a completely normal part of their routine. At some point, Rebecca went downstairs to use the bathroom and left Max playing on the second floor of the house. When all of a sudden, Rebecca heard a loud crash and then came rushing into the stairwell where she found Max lying at the bottom of the staircase. Imagine how scary that moment would be. I think that's probably every parent's nightmare. Definitely. Especially when you have a steep drop off of stairs like that. Yeah. I mean, this is like, so you go up a flight of stairs. I think it's about eight stairs and there's a landing and then another eight steps. So this is, mm-hmm. it's pretty far up there. I would say probably like 15, 15 to 20 feet up. Yes. And on his way down, he either hit the chandelier or grabbed onto the chandelier and pulled it down with him. Yeah. There's glass everywhere and he's just laying in it. And, and Rebecca was the one watching him. So imagine, oh, I just can't imagine the fear. One time when I was babysitting, I had a little boy fall down a flight of stairs. Like he had, he escaped his crib. And then as I was coming up the stairs to, cause I saw him on the monitor escaping his crib, he's at the top of the stairs and he fell down the flight of stairs. It was the scariest moment of my life. I felt so bad. Like, and he was okay. But imagine how you would feel like you're watching someone's child and this is her stepson too. Mm-hmm. So she has an emotional bond with him, but just the fear. Cause I mean, it said in right away, she like knew. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't moving. He wasn't breathing. No, he, he looked like he was dead. I mean, he was in really, really bad shape as you can imagine falling from that high, the chandeliers broken on the ground. There's glass everywhere. There's also a scooter there and I don't know if that was just down on the floor from him playing with it earlier or if that was up there with him. I mean, obviously 
he went over the railing. The staircase has a railing. So mm-hmm. I imagine the scooter was just at the bottom of the stairs. I don't think that had anything to do with the actual fall over. But it's just like, how? I don't know. I still have trouble wrapping my head around how a child goes over the stair, like the stairwell like that. I mean, stairwells are at a certain height so that a child does, doesn't do that. But maybe, I mean, children play on stuff all the time. They climb. Maybe he was just one of those kids that just liked to climb on stuff and was pl- playing around on the stair, uh, the stair rail or something, and just fell over. We don't really know mm-hmm. exactly how the fall happened. Right, and no one saw it. Yeah, nobody saw him actually go over the railing, so it's kind of a mystery as to how he fell over. But what it appears is just an absolutely tragic accident. So Rebecca's yelling, screaming for Zena to call 911, and Rebecca's you know, on her hands and knees, starting to do CPR on Max because he's not breathing. They then called Jonah, and he obviously rushed home from the gym, and when he came in and saw Max laying on the floor, he obviously knew that things did not look good. And you can actually hear in the 911 call Rebecca in the background uh, as Zena's calling, and you can hear how terrified she is. She's repeating, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. Mm -hmm. Like, you can tell she's gone into complete shock. She's Oh my God, I can't imagine the fear, the feelings that you would have. And she also said multiple times, Dina's going to kill me. Yeah. Dina's going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So his mother, I mean, obviously any mother's going to be extremely upset by this. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. And and we would play the 911 call from uh, Max's accident, but we're not able to find any clips for you to play or to play for you, but it's, it's very distressing. Uh, but obviously emergency services get there. They take Max to Rady Children's Hospital and he has very serious damage to his bones and his face and his spinal cord. And they really had no idea how much brain damage had been caused by the lack of oxygen after the fall. He's obviously not breathing. So, you know, oxygen is not getting to the brain and he's in a coma at this point. Jonah calls Dina. Dina comes rushing to the hospital to be by her son's side. Uh, her so twin sister scared. came along as well. Nina. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Jonah also reaches out to his brother, Adam, mm-hmm. who flew in from Memphis as soon as he could get a flight in order to be there for his brother. And Rebecca was not doing well either. Mm-hmm. And I think for a little while, Rebecca actually thought that he, Max, you know, is going to pull through, like he's going to be all right. Maybe. She was very, she was a fairly optimistic that. You know, maybe because of the CPR and the fact they were able to get them to the hospital that he might survive this fall. And she was, I mean, she was just scared for him. I mean, obviously this was super traumatic and, you know, she was, you know, trying to comfort Jonah and and the family. But again, she kept saying that Dina is going to kill me. And And she specifically said this multiple times, which this is kind of a very interesting thing that she says uh, that'll come in later on. But a day later on July 12th, Dina's at Max's bedside in the hospital and the family is actually staying at a nearby Ronald McDonald house. On the same day, Rebecca is taking her sister Zena back to the airport because it was, you know, time for her to return to Missouri. On the way, Rebecca picked up Jonah's brother, Adam, from the airport and they ended up meeting Jonah and a friend at a restaurant for dinner that night. After dinner, Jonah then left to meet Dina back at the hospital and he ended up spending the night at the Ronald McDonald house. Rebecca and Adam didn't know each other very well. I mean, Adam was from Tennessee. It's kind of interesting because Adam is 
very, very different from Jonah. Uh, he's a very, I mean, he's just kind of a very average guy. He's not wealthy, doesn't have all the Botox, mm-hmm. uh, but he's a tugboat captain in Tennessee, kind of a rough around the edges type of guy. I guess you could really that'd be a good way to describe him. So other than having dinner together that night, they really hadn't spent much, if any time together. We don't really know the full extent of the relationship or yeah. how well, you know, how often they actually spoke to each other. Mm-hmm. But after they had dinner that night, they had, both of them went back to Spreckle's mansion in order to, you know, spend the night there to then, you know, go back to the hospital the next morning. So they go back to the mansion. Adam stays in the guest house, which is, you know, obviously on the same property, but it's a separate house that he's staying in. And Rebecca stayed in the main house in her room, her and Jonah's room. From what we know, neighbors that night did report hearing loud music coming from the mansion which is interesting. So I wonder, and and again, this is just neighbors hearing music. So we don't know exactly who's playing the music or what part of the house it was coming from, but it's important to note that there was music playing. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Adam just played music or something to take their mind off of what was going on. I mean, we don't really know. That seems weird. Very weird. I wonder what music. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really know. They just heard sounds coming from it. Mm -hmm. So then things just get even weirder. The next morning on July 13th at 6.48 a.m., Adam says he just kind of like came out of the the guest house basically walking towards the main house. And that's when he stumbles upon Rebecca hanging from the balcony from her room. Over the courtyard. So his guest house also faces the courtyard so yeah he walks out and he sees that according to him according to his story yes becca's hanging from a rope off of this balcony and adam calls 911 at approximately 6 48 a.m and here's that 911 call Emergency, what are you reporting? Yeah, uh, I, I got a girl hung herself in the guest house of uh, it's on Ocean Boulevard across from the hotel, same place that you came and got the kid yesterday. Okay, sir, what is the address? I'm not sure. Uh, 19, I'm in the back house, is 1928 something. Uh, I'm not sure. Let me call you back. Okay, sir. Is she yeah. still alive? I don't know. Okay. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Sir, I checked all of the records yesterday. I can't find anything on Ocean Boulevard. Can you tell me what the address is? I'm looking. Just start sending them towards the, toward the hotel. Okay, I understand that. I just need the exact address. I can't help you until I have the address. 1043 Ocean Boulevard. 1043 Ocean? Okay, yeah. is he still alive? I don't think so. Okay, let me get the fire department. Sir, hang on. Let me get the fire department on the phone to help you, okay? Hang on just a minute. Fire medical emergency. Coronado with a transfer. Go ahead, sir. Okay. I was no, lady, it's hung herself. What's the address? 1043 Ocean Boulevard. 1043 Ocean Boulevard? Yeah. Okay, what's wrong? She hung herself, man. She woke up. Okay, is this a house? It's a house, yeah. Okay, how old is she? I'd say about 30. 30, okay. When was the last time you saw her? Last night. Okay, is she beyond help? Well, give me some. I'm doing. I'm compressing her chest right now. I'm, okay, hold on. So what's what's, what's your name? Adam Shackner. Okay, I have help on the way. Okay, listen to me. Help is coming right now. Okay. okay. And Petey, you're on the way. Yes, we are. Okay. And you're right there with her. Did you cut her down? Yes, I did. Okay. Just stay with me. Wow. Yeah. So much to just digest from that call. Right. To like really listening to it all playing break out like it that. down for a yeah. sec because it didn't sound like a lot happened, but if you really listened, you can really start to kind of piece things together in your head. I feel like as far as like what's going on in this moment that Adam is calling nine one one. It's interesting that he didn't know the address, and then like minutes later, after he's cutting her down, he all of a sudden knows the address. And I don't know if you caught this at the beginning, but it does sound like for a brief second that there is a another voice in there. Oh, I didn't hear that. There's like it's very, very faint. It sounds like it's Can we go back? Let's hear it. Hey, sir, is she yeah. still alive? I don't know. Okay. Uh, right there. You hear that oh, there's yeah. But so, is that him? Like, yeah, does she? Does he run away from the phone? So but like, who is he talking to? He's screaming, fuck. Maybe he's just screaming out. Yeah, because he just was calling out. I don't know if that necessarily, but that's interesting. I hadn't noticed. Well, that. there's more more proof to that. Okay, that we'll talk yeah. about later on because there is there's actually some shred of proof that there could be somebody else there. And obviously, it's hard to judge someone because you don't know how you would personally act in a situation like that. And calling 911 is like super stressful. And maybe his objective was to get the information to them as fast as possible and be simple. But I think it's so strange that he just said, I got a girl hung herself. And then same place you got the kid. Like, it just sounds so cold. The day before, too, which is the reason why the dispatcher couldn't locate the records is because it happened on the 11th, not the 12th. Yeah, right. Exactly. He literally said the wrong date, too, which, yep. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean He could have just been anything. confused. I mean, right. it is all very stressful, and they just lost a child in this situation. So, But what, I'm surprised he wouldn't say, like, the, he just kept saying the kid, the kid, as if he doesn't know any of these people's names. Max, Max Shack- Shackney, yeah. my nephew. Right. You know? Yeah. It's very odd. He's he's very he doesn't yeah you would think that knowing that your brother is so well known mm-hmm. you know and he's he's they would be able to locate him immediately if he was like I'm Adam yeah, Shacknight Spreckles Mansion it's right. a famous mansion right. the Spreckles Mansion like he's like oh I'm across the street it's almost like he he was trying to delay 
the the time for people to get there so that he could do what he was doing maybe and, it's been done many times before right exactly totally a possibility so and you know his whole thing of oh i gotta cut her down in order to try to to revive her when it's pretty obvious that she's already gone and and later on we find out that her her body is already in showing signs of rigor mortis so yeah. she's she's dead for a good amount of time at this point and yet he's still like i don't know it, it's like you said it's hard to really like analyze people in these situations right. and their behavior and their tone of voice because we everybody reacts differently to this type of situation and panic and shock does right. weird things to us and yeah but kind of when you start understanding the the entire picture mm-hmm. here it really starts to get fuzzy and yeah. doesn't really make sense so not only was she hanging from the balcony but she was naked as well and this is one of the most just bizarre things about this entire case mm-hmm. is you know if this at first glance this looks like rebecca committed suicide yeah, by he's hanging. saying he she hung herself right but mm-hmm. i mean how even the police who showed up on scene talked about how Un, I mean, how rare that is for someone to kill themselves while they're naked. That alone is weird. But on top of it, her hands are tied behind her back by her wrist with a, a red rope, a climbing rope, mm-hmm. and her ankles are also bound. Yeah. Plus, a blue long sleeve t-shirt was wrapped around her neck over her hair, and the sleeves were double knotted and used to gag her. If I saw someone like that in that condition, my mind would not go to suicide. If I saw someone like, like what? I would call and say, there's been some type of murder. Like seeing someone like that. I mean, so quickly made a judgment on what it was. Which is really bizarre because I feel like if anybody should know the likeliness of this being a suicide, it would be the police. Mm. You know, having been to a bunch of suicides, like yeah. how often do you see somebody commit suicide this way? They said never. It, it's yeah. A very, yeah. Like never. Exactly I mean, like this. No. And then naked sometimes, but very, very, very rare. Right. Especially for women. They said the officers. So the whole scene is just absolutely bizarre. It makes no sense whatsoever. When the police and paramedics arrive, uh, Rebecca's lying on the lawn. So it appears as if Adam did, in fact, cut her down from the rope and Mm -hmm. she's just on the ground at this point. And after Adam calls 911, he then texts Jonah to tell him that Rebecca was dead. Apparently, Adam used a steak knife in order to cut her body down and then took the T-shirt out of her mouth in order to perform CPR, like he was saying in the 911 call. And when the paramedics got there, they did more CPR, but she was pronounced dead at the scene. So unfortunately, three days later on July 16th, Max officially was pronounced dead. He died from brain damage. Mm -hmm. Um, And the police ruled his death an accident on July 26th. Right. And then the next day, the Shaq Nye family announced that their son Max had died through a written statement, which said, with great sadness, Dina and I convey the tragic passing of our beloved son Max. Despite heroic efforts on the part of paramedics and hospital staff, he was unable to recover from the injuries suffered earlier this week. His loving, kind, and vibrant spirit will forever be in our hearts and those whom he touched every day. He looked so, like a really sweet kid. This poor boy dies. Yeah. And now Jonah's girlfriend, Rebecca, is dead. Mm-hmm. And all this going on at once, like such chaos. 
just super, super bizarre circumstances that are unfolding. So the agency that investigated this crime scene was the San Diego County Sheriff's Department. And when they analyzed the scene, they found a lot of just very bizarre clues here. So she had hung herself from the second floor balcony by a ski rope. And one end of the rope was actually tied to the bed frame in the bedroom. And the other was around her neck. And the drop was nine feet from the balcony. There was also two bare footprints on the balcony as well as one boot print from a man's boot okay so that alone is so much evidence Mm -hmm. the first bare footprint closest to the bedroom showed rebecca's heels and toes like she was standing facing the balcony with her heels closer together than the tops of her feet and the second print was just her toes closer to the balcony almost like she was on her tiptoes And then probably the strangest, well, one of the strangest, everything about this case is strange. But one of the oddest things is this note that was written in black paint on the bedroom door. And it said, she saved him. Can you save her? And it's in this big, blocky, grungy looking, aggressive type font that has been highly analyzed. And people who have looked at this handwriting experts who have looked at Rebecca's handwriting just say that there's a very small chance that she actually wrote this message. It doesn't look like something she'd write. She, she was a very, like she wouldn't write in all caps and be so aggressive like that. Yeah. And I mean, just her handwriting doesn't really match up with this at all either. And can you save her? What does this even mean? She saved him. Can you save her? So if she did take her own life and this was the thing, like the thing that doesn't make sense to me is that if you're going to take your own life, why would you leave a cryptic message like that? This message to me reads almost like what a serial killer would leave behind or just a killer in general would leave behind at a a murder scene. And I guess, I guess somebody could leave a cryptic scene before taking their own life, but for her and looking at her as a person, it just doesn't really fit her, the profile of her like at all. Yeah, it doesn't. And, is i mean if i'm understanding this message right are they trying to at least stage it as or is it actually a situation where this person is claiming that max was also murdered by this person as well like she saved him saying because at this point max is still alive when this is written yeah maybe they thought he was going to survive and that rebecca saved him because she did cpr yeah can you save her this almost seems like a ta- is it like Again, a third party? Yeah, it sounds like it a staged? taunting message from a from a killer. But is it someone that wants you to think that Could because be. something else happened? And it's a cover up, right? I Certainly wasn't Rebecca that wrote this because if anything, Definitely she would have said, "I'm so sorry about what happened right. to Max," or like she would actually left like a a note. I mean, dismissing the whole fact that yeah. if she were to take her own life, she would most likely not do it in this way at all naked over the balcony like this let alone write a cryptic note like this it just really does not fit her personality it doesn't fit who she was and you know the whole debate of was she suicidal was she you know ready to take her own life after this event and from what we know and the evidence there there is some interesting stuff there which we'll get into in a sec but for the most part, it doesn't seem like mm. she was at that point where she would have just taken her own life on a whim like that. Yeah, that idea has definitely been brought up too. Like maybe she was just so overcome with guilt that she did this. You know, she 
almost wanted to, I think it, they had talked about in that documentary, the oxygen one, how it, I guess it can be a Burmese tradition. Yeah, Asian shame is what they were talking okay. about. Like in certain Asian cultures, if something like this were to happen in your care, like it might equate to you in order to kind of bring honor back to your family, you would take your own life and that would basically restore honor to your family, which I don't fully understand how that whole system works, but, yeah. but I guess in Asian, uh, some, some cultures, Asian cultures, but not in Burmese, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, but either way, if this was that situation, she would not do it in this scary way. Like you said, she would write a note apologizing, saying like something about how shameful she feels or how she's sorry. It wouldn't be this scare. Why would she write this scary message? So in third person, what the too. hell are the police thinking when they walk into the scene and they see this note yeah. on the door and they think suicide. Right. And they're like done suicide. Right. What? And the reason, and you know, another thing, fact or clue that they found that reinforced their idea that this was suicide is they found a book on witchcraft of course on the bookshelf in the bedroom and they flipped through the book and they found diagrams of basically a right which showed a drawing of a naked woman with her hands tied behind her back that was using a red cord and and this really this is just kind of like a interesting clue they found it doesn't really lend any credibility mm -hmm. to this case at all other than the fact of yeah. coincidence that she was hung it's from a red rope stereotyping really it really is to yeah. assume that okay she owns this book so she would do this right. exact thing but please blame gonna... it on her culture right you know yeah it doesn't make sense mm -mm. so the police ordered a toxicology report along with the autopsy and collected as much evidence as they could from the scene uh, they found that rebecca had hemorrhages under her scalp and blood and tape residue on her legs the autopsy also found four instances of head trauma. So hmm. how on earth could it have been ruled a suicide with that report? That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, according to the San Diego medical examiner, Jonathan Lucas, he said the head trauma that she suffered may have been caused by hitting her head on the balcony on her way down. But there was four instances of it. So how does that play out? I don't know. According it to really Jonathan doesn't make Lucas. sense. Uh, forensic pathologist Werner Spitz, who actually testified as an expert witness in the Casey Anthony trial, said the head trauma could have also been caused by Rebecca hitting her head into the side of the house when she dropped from the balcony. Which like maybe she hit it several times. Yeah, like as kind of bounce. Yeah, like as you come down, you kind of bounce into the wall, maybe. Okay. But I don't know if that's going to cause major head trauma. I mean, again, we're talking about a nine foot drop. So I don't know. To me, that seems kind of unlikely. Another forensic consultant, Dr. Maurice Godwin, said the chances of bumping into the railing, going over the balcony, and then hitting your head four times is highly unlikely. I think any person with a brain can kind of come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. Also, the medical examiner dismissed completely blood that he found on the inside of her leg, and they just said that it was menstrual blood, which she was on her period during this time, but they never verified that and confirmed that that's where it was from. And not some other injury because it doesn't go along with suicide. No. And there was also other splotches of blood that were found in the bedroom too, mm -hmm. that they just said was menstrual blood. Mm -hmm. Like she just is walking around bleeding. Right. Basically, make a lot of yeah, sense. basically saying that she just all of a sudden 
got out of the shower, she was showering or something, and then yeah, that's their theory. Went and tied herself up with this rope and then put herself over the balcony yep. and killed herself. That just in her shower, and she didn't even put on clothes. Right. Not even to put on clothes before killing herself. That doesn't even make sense. Like, think about all the things that you would have to do if she made that decision. It's not like she had all those supplies up there, a rope, uh, these bound, the t-shirt. Like, she had to go get the paint to write on the door. Like, she, that would all be thought out, you know? So she was just doing this all naked. Right. And just dripping around on the floor. That just doesn't, that doesn't play out for me. No. Right? That sounds so bizarre. Like the fact that that was even presented makes no sense. What also doesn't make sense is how they actually process the scene. It's absurd. Yes. How they did this. I I can't believe that Mm -hmm. departments do this, but investigators used a single swab on each surface to gather DNA evidence and nothing was recovered from the scene or from Rebecca's body. They never swabbed her for DNA because they decided it was a suicide. Yep. And the only DNA and fingerprints that they found belonged to Rebecca, including on the bed frame, the balcony door, and bindings. So in a case like this, the way that you would investigate it is you would go and see, you know, if anybody else saw anything, if anything, anybody saw this actually go down, go talk to the neighbors. Did they hear anything? Mm-hmm. And during their investigation, a neighbor actually came forward to tell detectives that she heard more than just music coming from the Spreckles mansion that night, but in fact, she heard loud screams and a woman yelling for help around 11.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you not do anything with that? How do you not, how does that just be like, well, you probably heard wrong. Right? Like, how can that type of statement be dis- dismissed? Like, oh, you were just hearing things. It's so clear what was going on. She was yelling for help as she was being tied up. And, oh my God, it's so, so sick. This did give the police a tiny bit of an inkling that, okay, maybe there was foul play involved. Maybe there was something else that happened here. And the only other person or possible suspect would have been Adam because right? he was the only one that was even near Rebecca that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And he was in the guest house. Yep. Joan is at the hospital. Right. So it's just her and Adam. So the police bring in Adam mm-hmm. to do a polygraph test. Yeah. And we have a clip of this. It's very interesting. And this is on the same day that they found Rebecca's body, mind you. Yeah. Pay attention to how he yeah. acts in this. I think I woke up and reached her and realized I wasn't going to be able to get her off without a knife. You know, I probably tried to just realize, I probably quickly, you know, realized this thing will happen, you know, like this. I went around the back into the house, which the door was open. I got a knife from the butcher block thing, mm-hmm. came back out cut her down, and probably called 911 shortly after, if not before. Okay. I, did any point think she was alive? I'm a, you know, call me a can-do person or something, but probably not, but I thought, how would I answer if I, if I, for this, if, if I didn't try something? Okay, so you, you know, you try I'm a responsible person. Okay, try some CPR? Yeah. Okay, and have you been trained in that for, with the boat stuff? Years and years ago. Okay. Not enough to amount to anything. Okay, so try some CPR. Now, and so was there anything else unusual? What what kind of shanger was it? Like a bed sheet or what? It's a fucking rope, man. Red rope. Unless my memory is failing me, you know. Mm-hmm. Something that it wasn't just something that you would be laying around somewhere. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think. All right. So 
Could you tell whether it was what uh, material? Kind of like a Kevlar synthetic. Okay. Like nylon or something? Yeah. Like that? Okay. And so what are she no shoes or not a stitch on? Not that I recall. And so her hands are hanging down to her side then? I, I don't know because here's the thing I don't remember about her hands. Because after I cut her down, when I went to take her pulse, you know, at some point, which I didn't even do that first, I remember having to get something out of, the of her hands. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've been asking these detectives and stuff if she was tied up or what. I mean, I'm kind of all yeah, you know, blur. Yeah. You know, but, but I remember having to move something, try to get her pulse out of the way. Okay. You know, very much. How about her feet? Anything unusual about I don't remember that. But I'm just, I fear, I hope to God she wasn't tied up. Mm -hmm. But, and again, I asked the detective that, you know, and I don't uh, recall. And then, so it would, now as far as the CPR, you did the chest compressions, and then did you blow in her mouth and those? I, I got the, once I got 911 on the line, I went ahead and blew in her mouth. Okay. And her, her mouth was open and clear and everything? I didn't even do all that. I showed how I did. Okay. I didn't do that tilt. I think they said tilt the head back. Do all, I didn't do any of that stuff. Okay. I just put my mouth over hers. I said, fuck it. It's my brother's girlfriend. I'll do it. I did it. Right. And no tape across her mouth or anything like this? No. There was a fucking a gag in her mouth, though. A gag in her mouth? Yeah. What was that? Something. You know, I had to pull something out of her mouth. Okay. It was like a blue scarf. Hmm. I mean, does it seem to you like it's a suicide then at that point? At, yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. What, and what makes you think that? It's just what, what crossed my mind, you know? Okay. It's just because I thought she was there that when, when Max got hurt, supposedly. Um, uh, you know, maybe she just can't live with it. You know, okay. I've never been in that situation. I, I, I'm not going to say that I could, if, especially right. with someone else's kid, you know? Yeah, but did, did she seem suicidal or anything like that? No, I don't get, you know, I mean... You just don't ever think of that. Okay. Look straight ahead. Right. Listen, think, concentrate on each question. Okay. Only respond yes or no. Okay. But the most important thing of all is what? Be honest. That's it. Honest okay. or don't lie. Either answer is acceptable. Regarding the death of Rebecca, do you know for sure if anyone did anything to her that resulted in her death? No. Regarding the death of Rebecca, did you yourself do anything to her that resulted in her death? No. Regarding the death of Rebecca, were you in that guest room that she was found hanging from at any time during the night? No. These are hard tests to do when you're this close to, to what's going on here, like you said. Yeah. Because it's hard to get rid of that emotional factor. Right. Um, and you could have done a whole lot worse on the test. Could have done a whole lot better, too, but... Based on what I've got here, we're kind of in an inconclusive range, which really doesn't bother me that much, uh, because if I think if you were in something uh, that close, uh, there's no way I can prevent you from giving me some reaction, but as far as being involved in it, I'm not inclined to believe that, um, but you're definitely, not, you're definitely not flunking my test, so that's kind of a, somewhat of a good thing. What do you, what's your read on that? I mean, it's tough because clearly he's emotional or he's mm -hmm. acting emotional. I mean, so you just never know with people. Mm -hmm. You never know if they're if you're seeing genuine emotion right. out of him or if he's just kind of putting on a show. Right. And but I mean, the fact that the results were inconclusive 
kind of means that, you know, some of the, you know, I mean, polygraph tests. Uh, yeah, aren't, I was gonna say it doesn't mean much. Credible, um, yeah. so mm-hmm. <laughs> can't be be used in courts. Just because he's so, you know, shaken up. Yeah, yeah. So, but the fact that the polygraph administrator said could have done a whole lot worse on the test, but he could have done a whole lot better too. I just so, thought it was interesting. I mean, does he really think that Rebecca would write? That and I mean, I wonder if he at this point knew. I don't that. think he did. I don't think he even went inside there. Mm. I mean, it's pretty clear that the police got there and then he just kind of like took off, probably just or or went to the station and stuff. They were like yeah. talking to him mm-hmm. about it because he was obviously the last person to see her the night before. And, yeah, and he knows that doesn't look good, right? So he knows that he's going to be a person of interest at the very least. That like if they're going, you know they're going to look into this as a homicide that he's going to be the first person they look at. Yeah. So, and I mean, with this test, I mean, it shouldn't have just taken him completely off the radar. I feel Mm -hmm. like I think there's, I think you got to investigate this a little bit more and you got to, you know, try to talk to him more and actually do like a real interview with him, not just a polygraph, you know, like actually sit down with him and have a detective talk to him. So as far as I know, I don't think that happened. I think as soon as he did this polygraph, they they just kind of like cut him Shut loose and yeah. were like, all right, well, this basically proves that, you know, he wasn't lying on the polygraph, so he must not have done anything. So I still don't understand, even if even if they're able to prove that he didn't do it, that how can that that does not mean that she committed suicide? No, like that doesn't rule out the possibility of an intruder. No. And he's even implying that she had a gag in her mouth and he right. thought that was, he was acting like that was weird too. And he, mm-hmm. it almost seems like he's kind of pushing in a weird way towards the idea that maybe this was a, a murder in a way. Like mm-hmm. uh, that's the vibe I got. I don't know if anybody else gets that from that, that yeah. polygraph test, but I almost feel like he's almost it's like hard to say slightly pointing towards, Hey, maybe there's a possibility that somebody gagged her. Because who gags themselves? If you're going to kill yourself, why would you gag yourself? You're going to be dead in seconds. As soon as you drop off that balcony, why would you Why would you gag yourself? Well, people have brought up the idea for the gagging and the, uh, the binding. That some people will do that so they can't scream for help and, ha- and someone be comes. Be rescued. Right. It's to like prevent mm. self-rescue. Some people will tie their hands back so that they don't you know, save themselves. But I, I mean, I still don't believe that, but that's what, what has been brought forward. Yeah. As far as the suicide so theory possible, I guess, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't think it makes sense here though. Yeah. And it's just that note. That note right. is So weird. It is. Well, and there's a lot more. Yeah. So Jonah, after, you know, hearing that his brother took this polygraph, it was inconclusive. I mean, he stood behind, Adam saying that Adam had nothing to do with Rebecca's death. Yeah. But what was interesting is that another witness came forward and said a woman matching Dina's description walked up to the door of the mansion the night Rebecca died. So if you think about this, if Dina was in fact at the mansion, which we don't know, we don't know for certain if Dina was there Mm -hmm. because Jonah has an alibi. Like all these people have alibis footage of him at the hospital, right? But Dina would have a motive to hurt Rebecca. Obviously, Rebecca even said herself, Dina's going to kill me. Dina's going to kill me. 
So there is a chance that maybe Dina had something to do with this. You know, if this was a homicide, maybe Dina staged this. But then again, Dina, would Dina have the ability to even pull this off? Right. And that's where I struggle with the idea about Dina actually committing it. Um, Because it seems like you would be your your mind would be somewhere else at this point. Right. Like her son is in the hospital clinging on to life. Does she have time to think through and plan a murder and go carry it out? And it seemed a little more, I, I don't know. I just don't know if she would actually take that step that soon. Right. 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 Like Two days just, later. That's so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, she's still in shock. Can she think through and pull off and get away with a murder? Right. I don't know. Seems unlikely. Right. Seems unlikely that somebody would do that. But it's not unheard of. No, not unheard of. Definitely possible. Right. It seems kind of, I struggle with that. I don't know. This case is just wild. I mean, as you can probably imagine, once the media caught wind of this story, it went just absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all over the place. And from day one, the Zahal family thought this was a murder. They did not believe even one bit that Rebecca killed herself. He said, there's just no way. And I mean, the more they found out about her condition and the crime scene, it just solidified that there's no way that she did this to herself. Right. Well, and again, it's crazy that if this was a homicide, how did they not pull any other DNA evidence off of her? And I mean, we just heard in that polygraph that Adam put his mouth on her. So there's no DNA like when they swab, there's no none of Adam's DNA is found anywhere either. He also had, you know, cut her down. So I'm sure he like maybe bumped into her at some point. Like it's crazy. That's what's so weird is that there's no no other DNA at all. It's only her DNA, which makes me question those DNA results. It does. Yeah. Or something's just being withheld. What's absolutely crazy, though, is the fact that anybody who looked at the scene saw the state that Rebecca was in the way that she was bound, gagged, would easily come to the conclusion that this was probably a murder or a staged suicide. But the police were very staunch on their view that this this was a legit suicide. I mean, and they even said that the note on the door was a suicide note. And the reason why they didn't do a handwriting analysis is because you can't compare painted handwriting with written handwriting, which I I get to some extent. I mean, it's going to be different when you're painting versus like actually writing on a piece of paper, but still you, you still write some, you know, you still paint similarly if you're spelling out words, do it right. They didn't even do any of that. No. And also the San Diego Sheriff Roy Frank claimed that there had been other documented cases of people securing their hands and feet as part of suicides. And in order to test this theory out, they actually had a deputy that they videotaped show you how you can actually tie your hands together, put them behind your back just the way that Rebecca did. It's possible. It is possible. But even after all of this, Rebecca's family was not buying the suicide theory. They also argued that Rebecca showed no signs of depression And they also said that if she was depressed, she would have never turned to suicide. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you could take that for what it is, but you know, definitely wouldn't have done it naked Mm -hmm. or any type of sexual manner. And a lawyer for the Zahal family argued that there had never been a reported case of a woman killing herself this way, gagged with both hands and feet bound in a noose around her neck and naked. Cause if you think, just think about 
the actual work and effort that would have had to go into this whole thing. Right. And for her to do all this just to take her own life because she's upset about her responsibility in the death of Max, which was a total accident. I mean, that's there's no proof otherwise to say that she mm-hmm. murdered Max or anything crazy like that. It was very clear that Max died in a tragic accident. Yeah. So it seems very unlikely that she would have just snapped like that and then killed herself. It just doesn't make sense. As a part of the police's investigation, though, they retrieved cell phone records for Rebecca's phone from about 8 to 10 o'clock that night. Uh, she was actually texting with her sister, Mary. And Mary let Rebecca know that Zena had gotten home safely back to Missouri. Nina Romano, Max's aunt, texted Rebecca at 1048. And at this time, Max was still alive and in a coma. Nina had asked Rebecca to come over so they could talk about his accident. But Rebecca never answered this text. Also, it became apparent that someone listened to a voicemail on Rebecca's phone at 1250 a.m. And according to Mary, the voicemail is from Jonah. And Jonah later confirmed this. He told Rebecca in the message that Max was doing far worse than previously. But that message was deleted that night and the police and family members never listened to it. Investigators had Rebecca's cell phone, but they didn't try to turn it on, thinking that it might destroy evidence. They tried to find software that would allow them to pull information from the phone without turning it on, but there's no such software that can can do that for this type of phone. On August 15th, they did finally turn on the phone and searched it manually, and there was no record of the deleted voicemail saved on the phone. And AT&T may have been able to access the deleted message, but investigators never asked. That's got to be so frustrating for the family. Seriously, like, why wouldn't you use Just, those resources? Why not do it? Yeah, yeah. why so, not? Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And then on September 12th, the sheriff's department held a press conference to announce that they had solved the case of Rebecca Zahau. They said Rebecca Zahau's official cause of death was ruled a suicide and that there was no homicide here and that they were going to close the case. During the press conference, the police addressed all the evidence collected in Rebecca's case to explain why it all pointed to suicide. They said that all the DNA and fingerprints that they collected at the scene all belonged to Rebecca. Also, the one witness who reported hearing a woman scream was dismissed as being unreliable. And why? And I mean, there's literally a clip of her in the documentary talking. She does not seem unreliable in any way. No. I feel like that's something you would remember. Right? And also, this boot print that was allegedly on the balcony was completely dismissed as well. And they just chalked it up to basically an officer accidentally left that which i'm like what you guys should have been wearing shoe covers too i'm like really you guys didn't secure the the scene at all you just were walking around on the balcony when it i mean don't even get me started on that there's so many times that that happens yeah and because the only footprints that they found which you can't even conclusively really say were hers Mm -hmm. they said were hers and that it had to be a suicide and that's it and they also showed that video of the female officer tying her hands the exact way that Rebecca did. Mm-hmm. But again, they just showed like the hands. How the hell did they do the feet too? So she did the feet too. She did the feet first, first I assume, the then the hands. If she, yeah. you know, rope around her neck, then hopped, you know, from inside the bedroom where the rope is, you know, looped mm-hmm. around the bedpost, hopped all the way over naked, bleeding over to the balcony, and then somehow managed to jump her way over the rail. The sheriff's office also suggested that the reason that she, you know, just snapped and decided to take her own life was because 
she listened to that now deleted voicemail message at 12:50 a.m. that Jonah left for her about Max and about Max basically he's going to die and once she heard that that just triggered her to go and kill herself in this manner. Hmm. And Jonah even suggested that he believed that Rebecca that was also the reason why Rebecca decided to commit suicide. But after this press conference, I mean, they're just like, we're sorry for everybody involved. Condolences to the family. Case closed. That's it. But Rebecca's family is like, are you kidding me? How can you just close this case? And and when there's so many weird things about this. So they turned to the internet for support to try to push this further. Um, They started justiceforrebecca.org on September 7th and started accepting donations for their own investigation into her death because that's like the best thing you can do is hire your own PI, but they're expensive. Right. Um, They didn't believe that Rebecca took her own life and they demanded that the case be reopened. And like we said, Jonah just completely accepted the results of the investigation and he didn't think that detectives presented any evidence convincing enough for, you know, Rebecca's family to actually believe it. But to him, it made sense. Which is like, dude, you care a lot about this woman, you know? Right. Or I don't I guess I don't know how much he actually did care, but he claimed to care about her. And wouldn't you be suspicious if your significant other was found in this way? Wouldn't you have more questions? Wouldn't you want to know yeah. who the hell wrote that right. note? You really think she wrote it? Right. Even though the police closed the case, the Zahao family was not going to accept their findings and they were going to do everything they could to try to figure out what really happened to Rebecca. So before we dive into all that, because there's so much yet to come with this, I mean, it gets even crazier here. We want to quickly thank our last sponsor for today. So like we said, the Zahao family did not accept the suicide theory at all. They knew that Rebecca was murdered and they suspected that Adam or someone else in the family was responsible. Um, And they also hired Seattle attorney and TV personality Ann Bremer, who had worked on many high profile cases to represent them. And they went on a bunch of TV shows and went on to speak for them and kind of represent the family. Mary also did a lot of press as well. They went on Dr. Phil. Um, Dina also went on Dr. Phil to talk about her doubts around the investigation. So there was a lot of tension between the two families. And also to say that she didn't believe her son Max's death was an accident, which is very interesting. And that wasn't even publicly presented until she did this interview right and what's crazy is that during this dr phil episode which we can't play because dr phil claims everything but right it's on youtube some clips of it but they actually showed on the episode them exhuming rebecca's body and the reason for doing this is they wanted another pathologist to perform a second autopsy because they felt like the medical examiner definitely missed things and and to clear clarify, they didn't actually show her body, the right. casket. They exhumed the exhumed, yeah. right, exactly. And so, Doctor Wecht performed a second autopsy, and he was very famous, Doctor Wecht. Yep, He's been in a lot of other cases we've covered. And what he found from the second autopsy is very interesting. He said that there were fractures on her throat, which were more consistent with strangulation than hanging. And he also found evidence that she had been sexually assaulted. He also said that the hemorrhages under her scalp that we mentioned earlier were further indications of foul play. And he concluded that he believed her death was caused by homicide and not suicide. So thinking about this for a second, Mm -hmm. clearly, you know, things start to make a little bit more sense. I mean, 
if you were to do, you know, a hanging in this style, and and honestly, I, I believe they were saying that this is like an execution style of hanging, like the the way that she was actually, you know, roped yeah. up and everything was in a way that like they used to. There's used a long to do. enough drop to where it actually breaks your neck. It's yeah, exactly. It snaps your neck. It's supposed to be a more humane and quicker way. And there's that bone in your hyoid bone. Yes. That kind of floats in there. Yeah. So when someone is strangled, that is fractured. So that was fractured in Rebecca's case. Right. Which tells us that it wasn't from breaking her neck from the rope. It was from being strangled. Because you'd have to apply direct pressure to that bone in a way and kind of keep it in the middle and squish it in a way that a rope wouldn't do that. Mm Mm-hmm. So despite these new findings from Dr. Wecht, Jonah still mm-hmm. did not believe that Rebecca was killed. He believed that she committed suicide and he was absolutely just horrified by, you know, the Dr. Phil episode because of the, you know, they exhumed her body and everything to do this autopsy. But again, I see why the family did. They wanted to get yeah. conclusive answers and look at what they found. I mean, they totally, totally got some new information that supports their theory that she was murdered from a very reputable source. Right. And unfortunately at this point, you know, the case is closed. There's not, you know, there's not necessarily any suspects you can physically tie to the, to this murder and nobody else, you know, the police aren't even considering this a murder at all. The only thing you can really do is file a civil lawsuit uh, against the person that you believe was responsible for her death. And that's exactly what they did in 2018. This is how family filed a civil suit against Adam Shackney. And at first, the case included Dina and Nina Romano based on an eyewitness who claimed to have seen the women at the house that night. And security footage proved they were at the hospital at that time and they were ended up being dropped from the suit. Mm-hmm. But in a civil suit, it's easier to prove guilt because the burden of proof is lower than in a criminal case where guilt must be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. And on the plaintiff's side, Rebecca's family had to prove that Adam, the defendant, was responsible for Rebecca's death. And during this trial, the jury saw a very different Adam from what we saw in, you know, Mm. that interview footage from the polygraph examination. In court, he seemed very confident and just was like, you know, I'm going to come here and just prove everybody wrong. I had nothing to do with this and the trial would go his way. But Keith Greer, the civil attorney for the Zahao family, disputed all the evidence that investigators claimed pointed to suicide. He picked apart the entire investigation piece by piece, which led to some dramatic scenes in the courtroom. Because they actually got a mannequin made, a life-size you know, scale mannequin uh, of Rebecca, in order to reenact the hanging for the jurors. The mannequin was her height, weight, and proportions, and it had all the marks found on Rebecca's body during the autopsy. And Keith actually questioned the investigators about using a single swab to collect DNA from each surface of the crime scene, as a single swab could easily miss evidence. He also narrowed down who could have painted that cryptic note on the door. She saved him. Can you save her? Mm-hmm. And he theorized that she saved him was a reference to Rebecca saving Max by doing CPR. And if she hadn't done CPR, then he would have died, you know, right there at the home. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And the only people who would have known this were Max's immediate family members, Jonah, Dina, Nina, and Adam. And Jonah, Dina, and Nina all had alibis because they couldn't be seen at the hospital. And the only one that didn't was Adam. Keith also showed, 
you know, two examples. One example was of Rebecca's handwriting and he matched, you know, had it side by side with the handwriting on of the painted message and it just really didn't match up with Rebecca's. But then he got handwriting samples of Adam's and Adam all like pretty much all of his letters have like this tail on it just like the M did in that painted message. So he basically said that Adam was the one who committed this homicide and that not only did Adam kill her, but this was a sexual crime. Like he sexually assaulted her prior to killing her or staging the suicide, which actually would make quite a bit of sense. It it would. I mean, they were home. They were at dinner that night. Then they went back to the mansion. So they would, they were alone at the house Mm -hmm. and it would have been a perfect opportunity for him to do that. And I mean, it's kind of crazy to think, could someone really be that evil in that situation to do some to, you know, when they're all dealing with this loss of a child who's in the hospital, you know, or I guess at this point, yeah, he hadn't passed away. So it just seems like a strange move, but it also makes a lot of sense. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is this bloody steak knife that was found. It had blood on all four sides of it as if it had been inserted into a wound and Rebecca didn't have any deep stabs or anywhere where it could have plunged that far in and be covered with blood all the way to the base of the knife. Right. So the only place that would make sense is her vagina. Right. And she was on her period. So that could explain why there was so much blood. I mean, it is a knife, so that can create it as well. But that seems to be the only place that would make sense. Like there, that cannot be, that knife cannot be explained any other way. No. From her injuries. No, and he was even able to match up, you know, the knife imprint with that blood on her leg as if it had gone in and then it had rubbed against her leg on the way out as he pulled it out. There would have been a swipe of blood from that knife. Oh, that makes me so uncomfortable. Because again, like you said, the only really other bloody wound she had was a rope burn uh, on her hands, which that doesn't really match up. And, And like, the flip side would have been, oh, she was holding the knife to try to cut the rope when she was tying herself up and, you know, wedged it between her fingers. But this knife was like had blood on all four sides from the very base of it to the end of the blade. So let's talk about the knots for a second, yes. because this is like one of the biggest mm-hmm. points of contention with this case is could she have tied these knots? Uh, these are figure eight knots and one of the which is one of the four basic maritime knots. And interestingly enough, Adam was a sailor and a tugboat pilot in Memphis. So he would have definitely been familiar with these types of knots. So clearly it's possible that Adam could have been the one that tied these knots. He would have definitely had the knowledge to do them. And, you know, it's been proven basically that, you know, somebody, unless you were, you had this type of experience like with boating and stuff, which. Jonah said she did go on boats a lot. She did help him tie up the boat to the dock and things like that. So it's not impossible that she wouldn't know how to tie these knots. But most experts say that the the complexity of the knot, especially around her hands, were, mm. yeah. were to a point that it's unlikely that she would have known how to do that as well as on her legs too. Because like tying a boat to a dock is a little bit different than bounding, you know, tying your hands and feet on yourself yeah, right behind you but in addition to the knife and the knots a forensic expert determined that the painted message on the door had been done by a right-handed man who was about six feet tall 
and Rebecca was fairly short. She was five foot three, or I mean, that's pretty average for a woman. But Adam was five ten, so he was definitely closer to that size. What's also interesting is that this same black paint was also found on the ropes that bound Rebecca and on both of her nipples. That is weird. Paint was on the tip of her right nipple and on either side of her left nipple. As if it had been pinched. Right. So what, she pinched her own nipple? No, that's With paint? This makes no no sense. What the hell? Instead, that seems way more conducive of a sexual assault. Definitely. Definitely. A stage suicide sexual assault situation. Also, the police never tried to get that deleted voicemail off of her phone. No one knows for sure what the message said. Or if it was Jonah who even called her that night, none of that can be right. confirmed. So it could have even exactly been Adam know. for all we know. Right. It could have been That's Adam true. like luring her in to some place or something even. I mean, That's we don't even true. know. Yep. And also the night that Rebecca died, Adam admitted to looking at Asian bondage porn on his computer from inside the guest house. So that's very interesting. Yes. Because somebody who is into that type of pornography might, or that type of sex may, Mm -hmm. or kink, I guess is what's called, would have maybe had that knowledge in knowing how to bound somebody like that. But they did in the documentary, they went and talked to experts on these, on bondage knots. And they don't look like bondage knots. They look like sailing knots. They're not, they're not, yeah, they weren't like similar to shibari Mm -hmm. is what it's called. Yeah, right. Also, weirdly enough, the clothes that Rebecca was wearing before she died were never found either. What? Yeah. Like that's extremely weird. Someone clearly got rid of them. Yeah. And the computer in Rebecca's room was accessed after 3 a.m after Rebecca would have already been dead and the police have never been able to determine who had accessed it. Hmm. I wonder who it could have been. Right. Also the bed frame that the rope was tied to should have moved more from Rebecca's weight. So either someone was preventing it from moving or it moved back. That's what I've always wondered too. I'm like, how heavy was this bed frame? Because I mean, I mean, she wasn't obviously the biggest, biggest person, but I feel like anybody, if you know, with that kind of momentum going over that, at least would have pulled it forward a little bit farther than it was. Maybe it yeah. seemed like it had almost not moved at all. So maybe somebody, you know, had reinforced it or like if they had put her over the balcony went and then pushed it so that it wouldn't move. I don't know. Or maybe that's just exactly what happened. And it didn't move that much. What's also hard to wrap your head around is how Rebecca would have even been able to throw herself over the balcony. So the balcony was about two feet wide from the doorway to the railing and the railing was about three feet high and investigators concluded Rebecca had to throw herself off the balcony because only her footprints are found. But in order for her to go over the railing by herself, she would have had to hop over there while naked and gagged and throw herself headfirst over it. And this is all theoretically possible. Mm -hmm. And even in like the 2020 episode, they reenacted this and proved it was possible for you know somebody to throw themselves over but also possible for somebody to pick her up and physically throw her over the top too it would be more difficult but you could lean somebody up against it and then slowly push Push them them over the the edge it is definitely possible then on april 4th 2018 the civil suit finished up and nine out of 12 jurors found adam to be liable for the wrongful death of rebecca zahow Adam was ordered to pay nearly $5.2 million in damages to Rebecca's mother. And obviously they felt like, okay, this is somewhat of a victory. But again, I mean, it's just a civil lawsuit. But I mean, it does help them 
in their attempts to hopefully try and get the sheriff's office to reopen the criminal case so that hopefully they can go for, you know, go after Adam criminally. And that's exactly what happened because on April 16th, 2018, San Diego Sheriff Bill Gore released a statement that said that they would review the case again with fresh eyes. And obviously this was good news for Rebecca's family and they held out hope that maybe, you know, something might come of it. But at the end of 2018, Sheriff Bill Gore held another press conference to announce the outcome of the Sheriff's Department's new review of the case. And their conclusion was is that there was no evidence of a crime found. Despite all of that evidence that was presented in the civil lawsuit, the Sheriff's Office still said that Rebecca died by suicide, which is just unbelievable. It's appalling. It really is. It just absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. No, and anytime there's someone who has a lot of money don't you wonder? Yeah. Like, well, and why we, are they so against the idea of considering this right. possible homicide? Yeah. If you're connected in, in, you know, these areas like, and well, yeah. what we find out too, is that the sheriff at the time, Mr. Bill Gore was in Republican circles with Shaq Nye mm. with Jonah and yeah. there's communications and even on videotape of Jonah calling the sheriff's office trying to get them to basically make this story go away because his company stock was taking a hit as a result to the bad press and you know obviously people talking about Shaknai and Adam his brother which is just crazy they were literally trying to just squash it make it go away so then to make things worse Adam in February 2019 appealed the verdict in the civil trial but it was upheld by a judge However, the case was settled by his insurance company for $600,000, and this officially closed the civil case. So that's a very small amount compared to the $5 million. And after that, Adam could just, even to this day, continues to deny any involvement in Rebecca's death whatsoever. And he says it's so insulting that somebody would waste their time killing Rebecca Zahau. Hmm. It's very weird. And then in August 2019, the Zahau family offered a $100,000 reward for information leading to Adam's arrest, but he's never been criminally charged in this case and probably never will because, I mean, they've made it gone away. So there's a couple other little tidbits of information I think are, are very interesting that were brought forward by Paul Holes and Billy Jensen in their reinvestigation of this case uh, in their oxygen special called Death at the Mansion. I highly recommend you watch it. Definitely, it's definitely very interesting really takes it point by point Mm -hmm. and they go through all the evidence of the case and they actually consult with another forensic pathologist as well it became very clear to billy and especially paul holes i mean paul holes has a a lot of experience behind him i mean he was literally an investigator i mean he was a cold case investigator he works on golden state killer and tons of forensic experience cases yeah really understands dna testing and dna evidence and just crime scene investigation and he's incredible mm mm-hmm and what they found uh, in their investigation was evidence to support homicide. In fact, he said Rebecca fell nine feet, and with the diameter of the rope and the force of the fall, there should have been more concentrated and severe injuries around the neck. She had minor injuries to the cartilage in the neck and no injuries to the spinal column. Because if you think about it, I mean, that's a serious drop. Yeah. And the force of that, that's what I thought too. In some cases, it could even cause like your neck to complete de- decapitation. I mean, you can completely have your neck snap off of the spinal column. So this indicated to Paul that her body was likely lowered down by someone else after she had been strangled. Because again, that hyoid bone in her neck was fractured. 
What was another interesting find by Paul Holes was the positioning of the figure eight knot. On Rebecca's hands, the knot was facing up, but in all reenactments, including the one videotaped by police, the knot is facing downward near the fingers. And this is important because the fingers are needed to grab the rope in order to pull it tight. But if the knot is facing up away from the fingers, you can't put your fingers behind your back and pull no. it down to tighten it. So, so clearly just, somebody else tightened it for, for yeah. her. Yeah. So it ruins the theory of her tying it herself. Right. It's just like, you know, that video is complete garbage that they put together. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It's incorrect. It is. It's incorrect based on how her body was found. Paul also pointed to a few reasons why no DNA evidence was found. When only one swab is used, it's easy to miss. But investigators should have used a grid-like pattern when swabbing for DNA to make sure all areas were tested. That just seems like a no-brainer. Right? But using this pattern doesn't work with a single swab because it can only pick so much. Also, DNA evidence involves major and minor DNA. And in this case, Rebecca's was the major DNA because there's so much more of it. But the minor DNA would have belonged to her attacker or to Adam when he cut her down and did CPR. When not enough DNA is collected or when the methodology isn't precise enough, the minor DNA drops out. Adam touched the knife, the rope, the shirt, and Rebecca's body and face, so of course his DNA should have been found. Plus, the police never tested the blood in the knife or on Rebecca's thigh to find out if it was menstrual or vaginal blood, which is just a simple microscopic analysis. If the blood came from Rebecca's vagina, this is proof she was sexually assaulted and obviously she didn't commit suicide. Also on the nail of Rebecca's right ring finger is an imprint of black paint, and the paint has a pattern of a leather glove. Multiple areas on her body also have the same pattern, but it was never compared to the gloves that were actually found at the house. How crazy is that? Insane. And just the mere fact that she was naked, bound, and gagged and assaulted with objects, obviously... Just humiliating. Right. Just makes no sense at all. It seems like someone wanted to humiliate her in her death. Yeah. And one of the things that just really got me is they went and brought the 911 call from Adam Shackney to a forensic audio engineer. Like, what a cool job that is. Yeah. And he examined the call and uncovered that there is more to that call than what we can just hear, you know, just listening to it. Mm -hmm. But thanks to the science of voice fingerprinting, because everybody has a unique voice and everybody has a unique voice print. When you actually look at the the sound waves, everybody's got like a different print. Yeah, it's it's just as unique as a fingerprint. I had no idea about that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. And he was able to comb through that audio file and find that there appears to be a sound of a second second person present during that call. He also was able to make out what sounds like Adam Shackney saying, hold her still. So this suggests that Adam Shackney may have been speaking to somebody else in the room or somebody that was just far enough away from the microphone because there's clearly some other type of communication going back at him. It's too low to actually make it out exactly what, you know, he's saying over that call, but it's very clear that based on this other voice fingerprint that there is absolutely someone else present in the room. So when you just have that evidence alone, you start wondering who is in the area of that 911 call if it's not just Adam Shackney. Who was it? I mean, I know they were able to prove that Jonah was at the hospital, but are they able to confirm that he was there at all times? No, they never no. investigated or see where he went after it. Well, it seems incredibly obvious that this case 
has more than enough evidence to be reopened and be looked at at a homicide as a homicide. And, you know, the family, Paul Holes, everyone's pushing to get the San Diego Sheriff's Department to reopen this case into a full transparent homicide investigation that would involve, you know, retesting forensic evidence using technology that wasn't even available in 2011. Things are moving so fast, you know. It just seems like obvious. Like, why, why not? I just... It's always hard to wrap your head around why they won't just reopen and do mm-hmm. another investigation. Why do they get so stubborn? You know, why aren't they here to to make sure? Why can't we look into it more and make sure? What do they have to exactly. lose unless there's sketchy shit going on with the mm-hmm. top of the police department and the shack knives? I mean, we do know there is communication there with Sheriff Gore and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you never know. You know, maybe they maybe they did try to like, you know, evidence will be uncovered that shows that they tried to like make this go away and they did just rule this a suicide even though it's clear to every other law enforcement professional out there in the world that this is should have been at least undetermined yeah and at least investigated further but to just from the moment adam says basically we got a suicide we got a girl hanging yeah that was it it. that was it they wrapped it up it's just so disrespectful to her family too when it's so painfully obvious that something else happened here for them to not even, you know, consider it. Right. They deserve an answer that they can feel good about at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. So hopefully this does get reopened. I really hope so for the Zahao's family's sake, because this is just so tragic to to basically know with, you know, all your being that your poor sister and daughter was murdered by one, probably one of the Shack Knights. Like, who do you think mm-hmm. murdered her? Like, was it... <sighs> I don't, I mean, that's where I'm Did like, they hire really somebody struggling. to come murder her or I don't was know. It maybe it was a third party. I mean, could it have been Dina and Nina? Could it have been Adam on the his whole own? Family was involved. Adam with Jonah. I mean, there's like so many possibilities or like I said, just a complete, a random person, an intruder. Yeah. Is I, that possible? To me, it doesn't seem, this yeah. seems personal. Yeah. The humiliation of this kill just seemed, this doesn't seem like a random, but then again, I mean, they said the back door of the mansion was left open so people could sneak into it and stuff. So, or I think it was just back door to like the courtyard, the, the property, but I don't know. I I think for me, there's clearly motive for Adam, you Mm -hmm. know, whether it was him looking at that Jonah telling him to to do it or the whole, yeah, the bondage porn, that whole thing is very disturbing the same night. Maybe it was some uh, sadistic fantasy or something. I don't know. And that knife. You cannot yeah. explain the knife any other way. Mm-hmm. It clearly was plunged in somewhere mm-hmm. unless it was in. Uh, yeah, but that's definitely her blood. I mean, what else? That doesn't even make sense. That alone should be enough to rule this undetermined until they can Seriously. exclusively figure out what happened for real. I just can't believe they didn't find any other DNA on her. That's yeah, because that's they just did a shitty job at it. It's crazy because I bet you if they had conducted this investigation even remotely the way that they should have, we would have way more information as far as yeah. who else was at, We would have at least had physical evidence that would have tied Adam to her body. Mm-hmm. And then that would have given them further reason to the, then go test the blood on the knife, yeah. test, test swab DNA on her thighs, like mm-hmm. do a, a rape kit. I mean, so many investigation. Right. It's just like crazy. the way it should be done. It so should sad. always be done that way. It is. And you know, it's extremely sad is now their their family is fighting to just have all of her case records. Like, I don't think a lot of people even know that, but you don't just get access to your case records of a family just because you're next of kin. You don't automatically get that. 
um, which is what the Andrachio family has been trying to push for laws to change that so that your the next of kin can automatically it should be your right to see your case file for your victim for a family member that who who has died sorry it just gets me so upset it's crazy because now mary is trying to fight just to get these records to support you know the yeah, other side of things but they're only giving them records that are specifically supporting their conclusion so it's crazy it just <laughs> it, it just seems like so often the not and, and you know obviously not all law enforcement is bad not all law enforcement mm-hmm. you know does a poor job when investigating but it seems like but a lot do and like what's up with this guy bill gore he's straight up refusing to release the documents for what why dude what do you have what is your connection to this like the fact that he knew jonah and they have a connection is just beyond weird very Everyone sketchy. should tweet at Bill Gore and tell him to release the documents for the Rebecca <laughs> Zahau case. Seriously. Seriously it's ridiculous. Makes no sense. It's just sometimes just like after you do these cases, you're just like, or learn about these cases. You're just like, how is I this in, a, in America in 2021? Is it still like this? Like our criminal justice system is just so screwed Beyond. up. Like, it's it, very upsetting. It feels like extremely overwhelming. It just, I can't imagine being a family member trying to get justice. It would it's be like so you against upsetting. the system. Yeah. And, and the system is if you rigged. have money in this society mm-hmm. and you commit a criminal act, like your chances of getting mm-hmm. off just go through the roof. Like, yeah. and if you know the right people, if you're in the right mm-hmm. circles, if you, you know, have enough influence and power, like you can hire the right people and yep. You got a much better shot at getting away with something, getting away with murder. It's so sick, but so true. So true. Meanwhile, you have a, you know, Burmese immigrant family who's just screwed because the system's set up against them. And heartbroken. Yeah. And now they're stuck having to fight on top of it. I think that's the worst thing about these cases where families can't just grieve and accept what has happened and like try to move on. They have to fight every day to get justice because what are they supposed to do? Just give up? Like, how could you, how could you, if this was your loved one, how could you just accept this there needs bullshit to be answer? Like, Something clearly happened here. It's, it's so messed there up. There needs, clearly needs to be some type of independent that's separate from the government yeah. and separate from the, you know, state and local criminal courts that can come in Keep and present in information that mm-hmm. is actually taken seriously. Like there should be some other type of agency that, if you have this evidence, like the amount of evidence evidence that they have that you can force their hand and force them to open the case and then conduct a, you know, a, an investigation where not only you have the sheriff's office, but then you've got this, these experts that are all like, it just seems like, why not try to solve these crimes? What are they hiding? Question is why, 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 why not? Why not give this family justice and, and put people away? Like, why would we want murderers running around free? I know. Think about that for Such a second. A like how many how many killers just are just family. running around? Yeah, I know. It's it's extremely upsetting. Free because the justice system won't do anything. Yeah. Because they already made up their mind about the case. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, and they it don't seems want to face like, embarrassment of, or right. like say we were, were we were wrong. So yeah. many police departments, I think that's what it's about it's like, too. What the it's hell? Like, what is this? This is supposed to be like look. protect and serve the people. It, what it's when did this become about your ego? And your political reputation, like it just shows you like how messed up our system. It's just, it is. it's maddening, honestly. It really is. But I'll get off my soapbox because I can just get, go on and on about how yeah. crazy the system is and how well, it needs an overhaul. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I think it's we not can working. all agree on that. 
But I'm really curious what you guys think. Do you have a certain theory? Do you think it was one person in particular? Is it a combination of people? Is it someone within the family? Is it possibly a third party? Or do you think this was a suicide? I mean, we definitely want to hear your theories, your thoughts on this, because, I mean, I don't know what I for sure think happened. I, I know it wasn't suicide. Well, we but, don't have all the information. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're assuming a lot of things because nothing was ever tested. Mm-hmm. We have no physical, we obviously have no physical proof to point towards one person other than you know who was in the area last and that was adam so obviously you know suspect number one is adam but it could have been anybody could have been it could have been a hired hitman for all we know and they staged it like this in a weird way for whatever reason you know or yeah it was some crazy serial killer doing some sadistic ritual even i mean who knows i mean there's so many options there's so many possibilities out there but i i know what i think but doesn't really matter much because there's just really not that much physical proof there's not enough to you know say for sure that's who it was but as of now as, as of as right now know. as far as right now hopefully in the future we'll have better idea but that is it for us this week we hope you guys all enjoyed this case and found it as interesting as we did um, but we will see you guys on the next episode 150 will be next isn't that crazy i know 150 yeah it's been a lot of talking <laughs> We will catch you guys on our next episode, but until then, always keep your mind a a mile mile higher. higher.